0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Rogers' nationwide outage shows why we need more competition in this country. A terrible travel story from a frequent flyer. It's a first for Hamilton's public school board. A slice of Barton Village is a little greener today. Will the next U.S. presidential election include Donald Trump? And hosting the 2026 World Cup is going to be costly. The GMH Podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900
0: CHML. It took at least 15 hours to fix what was wrong. And it was a big fix that was needed because pretty much everything under the sun was impacted. From businesses, including our own radio station here, to banking. You know, debit and credit card machines weren't working for a while. ATMs, you couldn't go to those. Uh, hospitals were impacted. You couldn't call 911. And because of all that, and rightfully so, there are now more and more calls for more and more competition in this country. Will we see it? Jeff White is the Executive Director and General Counsel for the Competitive Network Operators of Canada and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Jeff. How are you?
2: Good morning, Rick. I hope you can hear me well.
0: I can hear you. You must. Well, you might be on Rogers now, but if we were conducting this interview on Friday, it would not have happened. That is for sure. Um, uh, yeah, that's correct. Rogers blames the outage on a network system failure following a maintenance update in its core network. And it was crippling, wasn't it?
2: It, it, it certainly affected and uh, exposed our, our vulnerability to... Uh, to Rogers, uh, in terms of you hit the nail on the head. In terms of uh, first responders, uh, businesses, individuals, there are a lot of stories emerging about uh, just how uh, how uh, critical that company is to, to to many Canadians. You you cited your your survey on Twitter this morning. Seventy percent were affected uh, of your respondents. Seventy percent were were uh, affected by that. Thirty percent were not. But you just realize all the all the intersections between uh, that company and and every aspect of our life, and it it highlights something more uh, fundamental uh, in the sense that we are reliant on two to three large companies for these this essential service at this point, and I'm talking about Bell, us and Rogers fundamentally. There's some smaller players, but it. it exposes a fundamental lack of choice in in Canada when it comes to telecom it's you know we 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 love uh, I know I'm I'm speaking in Hamilton right now we love to talk about uh, the maple leaves we love to talk about uh, the weather and we love to talk about how um, we're not happy as as Canadian consumers about the lack of choice in telecom Um, and when 70% Seventy percent of your listeners are their their lives are, are thrown off by a network outage. The the fundamental fact is you can't you can't switch. You're going to switch to another large service provider after this. Um, but there's no real regulatory oversight of these companies. Not that's another problem as well. There's light regulation if any. Uh, our ministry industries says he's going to look into this. The CRTC which notionally regulates the the this space uh says it's going to look into it but
3: we're living
2: in a de facto monopoly duopoly kind of system where two to three companies uh control 90 percent of the market right now um with very little consequence in terms of things like this so everybody's life was thrown off for 15 plus hours the other day um And there are no competitive choices to turn to um, to express dissatisfaction.
0: It really showed how dependent we are on companies like Rogers and Bell. It would have been the same situation if Bell went down. You know, if their network goes down, we're all pooched. And it has led to, and as I said off the top, rightfully so, calls for more competition in Canada. The question is, are we going to see more competition as a result of this?
2: Uh, Hopefully, yes. But not as a not as a result of what happened. So when we talk about competition, I mean we, we're we're thinking about wireless. I, I assume many people's frustration with with the wireless network right now. But let's not forget about home internet. Let's not forget about that. You know, wireless always connects to a wired network. Our, our cell phones connect to a tower, which connects to, uh, in simple terms, the internet. A lot of which uh, would explain why. Um, Interactive sound, for example. Um, and there have been calls for uh, for decades for more competition. It's like how, I, like I'm an older guy, so I could speak about how long distance was once opened up to competition. About 20 years ago, our home internet market started to be opened up for more competition. And on the wireless front as well, we know Canadians pay some outrageous rates and, and suffer some terrible customer service saying goes through home internet. So will we see more competition as, as a result of that uh, outage? We hope so. Um, the liberal government under the industry minister uh, Francois Philippe Champagne uh, has issued a, what's called a policy direction. It's like a set of marching orders to the CRTC to promote more competition, particularly in the home internet space on the wireless side of things um we've been living for a number of years under under this model where um only large companies that have uh, access to spectrum already and run a wireless network can try to tap into the networks of the bigger players unfortunately um it's going to take some years to see if that even works in the first place but yeah there's no there's no question you hear in the news right now uh, roger's talking about doing a root cause analysis of what happened the root cause of uh all the anger and dissatisfaction these days is there's a true lack of competition because your only choice right now it's limited choice if you want to ex- express your dissatisfaction with rogers switch to another network but guess what that other network uh it's, it's one of the large so-called incumbents. they're on, under limited competitive pressure so my association or our association of the smaller competitive players We've been calling for years for more uh, more access to Spectrum and more access to the networks of the large players so we can compete so that when this sort of thing happens, you can switch. You can switch easily, and it's the switching that holds these companies accountable, fundamentally for bad behavior and, and mess-ups like this.
0: And that switching will uh, no doubt lead to lower prices as well, which we could all use as well. Jeff, we got to run. Really appreciate your time today.
2: My pleasure. Good to see you, Rick.
0: That is Jeff White, Executive Director and General Counsel of the Competitive Network Operators of Canada.
2: You're listening
1: to the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast from 900 CHML.
0: A good story and a bad story all rolled up into one, depending on your perspective and where you're coming from. And you may have been in this person's shoes as well. Our next guest was flying from Toronto to Atlantic Canada. And like many people these days, hopping onto an airplane you're not 100% sure whether your luggage is going to get to where you are going. In this case, it didn't, at least for a while. Kelly Lang is a frequent traveler and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kelly, good morning.
4: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: You have a very interesting story to tell. What happened?
4: Yeah, so um, my partner and I moved out to St. John, New Brunswick during the pandemic, and Normally, it's a pretty easy flight back into the city. We both still uh, work in the Toronto area, so we go back and forth. And I was traveling a normal, direct flight on my way back home from Toronto to St. John. And I uh, got on the plane, and I thought everything was okay. And then I landed an hour and a half later, and I got to the baggage claim pickup, and uh, my luggage wasn't there.
0: And so you're like, okay... Uh, like a number of people, (laughs) where are my bags? Uh, But you had an interesting and effective device to keep track of your bags.
4: Yes. So when I went to the baggage claim, I actually wasn't the only one whose luggage didn't make the flight. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Yes. (laughs) So I pulled out my phone because I have an AirTag. I usually always carry one in my luggage. I'm an avid golfer and, and Those unique items tend to go missing sometimes when you're flying just because they're regular. So I had put my AirTag in my normal luggage bag because I'd heard about a lot of the delays. And I was able to look up the AirTag. I could see it was in Pearson. I actually let the other travelers around me know that their bags were probably in Pearson too. Um, But I'm very lucky that I just decided to put it in there. Otherwise, I, you know, would have just had to trust. Pearson, who wasn't really giving us much information, or Air Canada, uh, about where our bags were.
0: So, you were in St. John, uh, your bags were still at Pearson. Uh, when did you receive your luggage?
4: Yes, yeah, so I was able to track my bags uh, for five days. I had no communication from the airline, and uh, it was actually very upsetting, but at least I could see where the bag was. So, I tracked it for five days. Then I could see it got its way to Moncton, New Brunswick, which is about an hour and a half from me. And then I could see that it made its way to St. John's. I'm very much happy for the AirTag. At least it gave me that peace of mind, uh, especially because I wasn't getting much communication from Air Canada at that point.
0: So you received them five days later, correct? Yes, Wow. Uh, Kelly Lang is a frequent traveler joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML with a a unique story to tell, although not uh, an unfamiliar one to many who have indeed stepped on a plane and are wondering where their luggage is. Uh, And you created a series of TikTok videos about this experience. How did they go?
4: I did. And and they really blew up. So I mean, obviously, right now, traveling even domestically in Canada is a really huge pain point for people. So I think people really resonated with the videos about my AirTag, about how AirTags work. Uh, probably the worst thing about the video is I tried to buy another AirTag recently and they are completely sold out. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of shot myself in the foot there, but it seems like people are really picking up on this idea. And honestly, if it helps other people travel either domestically or internationally and make them feel a little more comfortable about the trip that they've invested in, I'm happy to help them.
0: So has Air Canada contacted you since this, uh, this uh, happened?
4: No, Air Canada has not contacted me. I have moved forward online to um, fill out the reimbursement form, but I still haven't heard anything from them. So air silence uh, on their end.
0: (laughs) So with these five days going by, did you have to buy all new clothes and and, uh, toiletries and stuff?
4: Yes, I did have to buy toiletries um, and a few other items, so I know that I can get reimbursed for those items, but at this point I'm not going to hold my breath uh, for any reimbursement coming through uh, from Air Canada.
0: Have you you found any AirTag since?
4: I have not found any airbags since, but I do want to say I I don't want to discourage people from traveling, especially, you know, domestically in Canada. We have been hit pretty hard the last two years with the pandemic, so don't let it scare you. You know, I I really want to push the tourism uh, industry out here, but I think a lot of our airlines need to step it up, especially uh, to these uh, smaller places, because it's really hurting the tourism industry to have these Lights cut and this luggage lost. (laughs) Uh,
0: Apart from your AirTags um, recommendation, what's the one thing that travelers should make sure they have or, or take care of?
4: I would say right now, um, definitely book a few days in advance because it seems like there's a lot of delays and cancellations. So if you have a big trip or event on the weekend, fly out a few days earlier just to give yourself a buffer and also try and take uh, a carry-on bag. (laughs) Don't check your luggage.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know where that's going to be. That's for sure. Kelly, thanks (laughs) for sharing your story with us and uh, congrats on uh, eventually getting your baggage.
4: Thanks so much for having
0: me. Kelly Lang is a frequent traveler and uh, a big uh, user of Apple AirTags. And in this case, obviously, gave her a lot of peace of mind in uh, finding out or learning where her bags were. They were at Pearson all that time. What is your favorite summertime treat? Ice cream, maybe frozen yogurt hitting a patio with the 900 CHML and Attractions Ontario Summer Photo of the Week contest. A photo of you enjoying your summer eats and treats could win you four tickets to Medieval Times Dinner and Tournament, four walking tour passes to Go Tours Canada. Enter the Summer Photo of the Week contest before this coming Sunday by submitting your photo at 900CHML.com. We'll award this week's prize next month. Monday morning. The winner of last week's theme, Possum Pals, is Debbie Watson of Hamilton. You can check out her photo on our social media feeds.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: The HWDSB, you know what that stands for, Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, has hired its first female director of education. We will introduce her to you now. Her name is Cheryl Robinson Petrozini, the new director of education with the Hamilton Podcast board Cheryl good morning welcome to the show
5: good morning thank you so much Rick it's very nice to be here
0: you are the first female director of education how, how does it feel
5: it feels very exciting <laughs> I'm really excited to join uh, HWDSB and continue the great work uh, that's been happening and I'm just really honored to have been appointed by the Board of Trustees. So it's it's really an honor.
0: I have to admit, I, I was a little surprised to learn that we haven't had a woman as a Director of Education before. Were you surprised by that?
5: Um, I, I think, you know, I, I know that in education uh, we have females in many leadership uh, positions, and in, uh, including in HWDSB. So I know that the leadership has been there uh, throughout uh, in terms of being the first female director. As I said, it really is an honour because, uh, you know, these positions are important to inspire our students. Um, so it's, it's just really thrilling to, to have been appointed.
0: What is the biggest challenge, or maybe there's a few of them ahead for the local public board?
5: I think the biggest challenge is understanding that we are coming through the pandemic. Um, and, you know, the, the focus really needs to be on ensuring that our students' mental health and well-being are in check. But at the same time, we need to continue to work on student achievement. So it's not a one or the other. Uh, the challenge is taking care of mental health and well-being while ensuring that our students have really great learning opportunities and experience experiences, so that uh, you know we can ensure student achievement. And we know how important this is for their futures.
0: It's been a lot of debate on the relevancy or uh, the effectiveness of things like EQAO. When you when you talk to, uh, about things like achievement, should that continue? Does it need to be tweaked? Give us your thoughts on EQAO.
5: I think when we look at assessment, I think when you're talking about EQAO, you're talking about you know assessment, and I think that. There are lots of opportunities for us to see how students are doing. Uh, some of the most relevant things that we do are in the classroom, at the classroom level. Uh, teachers are very well positioned to understand how students are, are doing and um, to really intervene uh, on individual basis based on the need. So there's great value in the work that's done at the classroom level, but at the same time, um, understanding Ah, uh, the need to understand provincially uh, where we at where we are at in terms of meeting curriculum needs. So uh, I do understand that as well.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Cheryl Robinson Petrazzini, the new Director of Education with the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. You're listening to 900 CHML. Uh, there have been um, you know, numerous guests on this show, whenever we're talking about STEM or skilled trades, and a lot of them have said, you know what we need back in schools is shop class, some kind of STEM focused uh, course that will you know, close the gap when it comes to those skill trades down the road. Is that something that's on the horizon? Is it something that's within the education system now that just looks a little different?
5: I think uh, definitely when you talk about STEM, uh, you're talking about science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, So absolutely, that is happening now in terms of a focus on those areas. Uh, There is also a focus on problem-based learning, experiential learning, so it, it might look a little bit differently, um, but the focus on, you know, on the STEM areas absolutely is there because we understand that this really helps prepare our students to be global citizens. And so those global competencies of critical thinking and problem solving are happening in our schools. It just might look a little bit differently.
0: What is the biggest or best opportunity in front of the board right now? Well, it's
5: for me, it's always uh, about our students. So the best opportunity is all of the investment that we do in our students. And I know that when the budget was passed uh, in May, uh, Chair Danko talked about the need to focus on uh, learning recovery in safe, equitable, and inclusive schools, uh, because this can only benefit our students. Um, You know, one of the things that I really want to focus on is making sure that students opportunities, that their trajectories, their choices and chances are much improved by having attended a school in HWDSB. So our best opportunities in front of us obviously are the investments that we make in our students.
0: In terms of the facilities that uh, the board currently um, occupies, are there any changes on the horizon that you'd like to foresee?
5: So I'm going to um, obviously learn a lot as I enter the board. Um, I know that uh, the board has a plan in terms of how it's addressing revitalization. And uh, budget is allocated for that as well. And I know that HWDSB has been doing a fabulous job with that. I'll need to learn more, um, you know, about the work that's currently underway in the different facilities in order to uh, be able to comment on that more, more um
0: Properly. Fair enough. Cheryl, really appreciate your time today. Congratulations once again on becoming the new Director of Education with the local public board here in Hamilton.
5: So excited and looking forward to, uh, you know, really connecting with the communities in Hamilton and working alongside staff to do the best that we can to serve Hamilton students. Thank awesome. you so much for it.
0: Have a great day. You too. Cheryl. Bye-bye. Cheryl Robinson Petrozini, the new director of education, Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Sounds like a lovely individual and um, looking for some uh, big things uh, in the next uh, few years, I am sure. You're listening to
1: the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Depave Paradise is taking place in the Barton Village again this upcoming weekend. They had a ceremony uh, last Saturday. They'll do so again this coming Saturday. It uh, helps demonstrate how small green spaces can have a big impact in the city. Elena Cousins is a project coordinator with Green Venture and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Helena, good morning. How are you?
3: I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. Yeah,
0: thanks for coming on today. What is this project all about?
3: Uh, well, the DPA Paradise program is a nationwide program and it's run by Green Communities Canada. And we're one of the local coordinators. So we manage that program in Hamilton. And it's just all about, um, basically it encapsulates stormwater management and commuting, communicating the importance of that, um, especially in urban areas. And then um, the mechanism by which they do that is, is by having volunteers come out to events like the one that we had on Saturday and actually tear up pavement by hand. Um, and then in its place, we'll usually put mostly green space. Um, some some will have permeable pavers, uh, like the one that we're doing ni- right now is a bit more permeable paver heavy, um, just because it's in an area where there, there's, you know, the need for a lot of seating. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's just the essence of the program. Um, it's lots of fun. Um, you always get really great people out. We had a great time on Saturday, and <laughs> it was just about two hours, but we finished quite quickly. <laughs> Everyone was really into it.
0: So this uh, this location in uh, the Barton Village is at the corner of Barton and Emerald. Uh So mm-hmm. what, what did it look like, and what does it look like now?
3: Well, it did just about a week ago. It was... Panels of concrete, some cold patches of asphalt. Um, so there, there were some tables on there from Emerald Coffee, and the, you know it, it was hot, and the concrete was kind of breaking in places. There was some new concrete, some old concrete, uh, but we usually try to find places that are exactly like that, and you know they're they're underutilized for for what they could be used for. And, um, you know, usually they're a little bit worse for wear and we see the opportunity for an improvement. And um, this was one that was, this one is on city property. So our, our Barton, our on Barton prog- program is um, we're working on city owned boulevards. So, we're working with the city and for this project, actually the Hello Baked project, the funds are actually coming from the Ward 3 capital budget. So Councillor Nan kind of made that made that happen for us and wanted to see the deep on Barton project continue. I got a little bit off track, but it did look like concrete um, and then now it is, kind of a hole just because we just depaved on Saturday, but we're going to have pavers being putting being put in this week. And then next Saturday, we'll have another volunteer event where we will plant up the garden space.
0: So it's basically going to be um, a concrete jungle, if you will, boulevard into a, a little green space where it's going to impact and I guess help that stormwater flow better. Is that the essence of it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Barton and lots of other parts of Hamilton are, are pretty densely paved. And um, that impacts our our stormwater system because, you know, naturally, the way that the, the water cycle goes is that rain falls, lands on the ground, soaks into the ground, and then, you know, trees and other plants will take it up and they provide habitat. That's, you know, that's one thing, but they also cool down the air. They provide shade and they take up the water so that it's not, um, you know, flowing down the street. So when you have lots of concrete and pavement, and, um, you know, a a lack of of plants with their roots in the ground, water is more abundant and it moves more quickly um, directly into the sewer system. So that's often picking up, you know, whatever's in its path, whether that's like oil, garbage, and everything, and, and and just causing erosion as well, because of just the sheer amount. And then the heat is an issue as well. So all these things are communicated by the program. And, you know, we're not necessarily with a little boulevard like this, adding, um, you know, like a huge impact in terms of um, like this space will really contribute to the amount of water going into the harbor, but it does communicate what you can do with such a small space. So on the grand scheme of things, you, you can make an impact, um, while at the same time providing a place for people to gather, sit and enjoy. Um, and yeah, also connect habitat for, for other species by putting in pollinators dotted throughout the city.
0: Helena Cousins is our guest on Good Morning (laughs) Hamilton on 900 CHML. Helena is a project coordinator with Green Venture. We're talking about the Depave Paradise event. that's taking place at Barton Village. We'll conclude this coming Saturday. Are uh, are you looking at more areas of the city to depave?
3: Yeah, so this one right now, I mean, we always have people reach out and say, like, we have a spot that needs to be depaved, and then... We'll, we'll look at it, see if it is appropriate for the program and, um, you know, look at what we can do there dependent on funding. Right now, this summer, we are focusing on the Barton Village and we hope to do two more, um, kind of closer to the fall. So yeah, very excited for that. We have done already three in the Barton Village um, and, you know, they're great. So I think that people want to see this work continue. And do you need volunteers to come out? We do. Um, Like I said, it is quite a small boulevard. So we did finish quite quickly on Saturday and we had about 11 volunteers only. But that was the perfect number. And similar on the Saturday. So we actually... We have a few people signed up right now, but there are still a few spots available. And you can register on our website um, under Upcoming Volunteer Opportunities. That's the best way to do that.
0: All right. Sounds good. And sounds like we're adding a little uh, patch of fresh air to the Barton Village uh, with this Depave Paradise initiative. Helena, thanks for the time today and good luck this coming weekend as well.
3: Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on again.
0: You got it. Helena Cousins, Project Coordinator, Green Venture, as we are depaving Paradise. I think we are adding a splash of paradise with a little more grass, some shade, and not only will it help with that stormwater and water flow, but uh, hey, the the green uh, and the the freshness of nature is a lot more better than that concrete jungle that uh, we usually run into from time to time.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. From 900 CHML.
0: One of the biggest questions in the political realm is whether or not Donald Trump is going to run for president in 2024. Now, it's not a clear-cut path to the White House for the former president, as the race is expected to be a crowded contest. Brian J. Karam is our next guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Brian is a television commentator, executive producer of Six Feet Apart, a documentary on the first days of COVID in the U.S., available on Amazon Prime. Brian, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good Hey, before we get to Trump's political future, let's dip a little bit into the past because we're being told that this week is expected to be a big one for the January 6th committee hearings. Apparently, they're going to examine the ties between Trump and the extremist groups who were uh, obviously played a big role in the Capitol riot. What do you expect to see in here this week?
6: Well, what we expect to see is, is, as you said, a direct tie from Trump to the Proud Boys and to the Oath Keepers. Um Dr. Ronnie Jackson will probably be mentioned in that. There's and as being the liaison to those groups for for Trump. What we also expect to see, I think, is even more. Of this the committee is trying to not only link Trump, but you're going to see that um, the evidence that they have that they're going to turn over to Justice Department for some of uh, Trump's closest uh, sidekicks in this whole endeavor such as uh, Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, and Jeffrey Clark, who was dragged out of his house by the Justice Department in, uh, in his underwear while they searched his home. So it's, it's, it, it should be they have really done a fairly good job so far of uh, trying to uh, stitch everything together, and I think they'll see, we'll see more of that this week. Tomorrow should be very exciting for that.
0: As for Trump's political future, he's, as we hear, still mulling over a 2024 presidential run. What do you think he's going to do?
6: Well, I don't think he'll run, but I think he'll pretend he's going to run, and he's probably going to say that he's going to run so that he can um, he thinks that'll protect him from uh, indictments or any further investigation into what he's done. But at the end of the day, I don't think that Donald Trump is going to be on the ticket in 2024 because it's I, a. I don't think he can win it, and b. More importantly, all he's doing is grifting his supporters. He just is trying to make money off them. That's all it's ever been about for Donald Trump. I don't think he wants the uh, the heat that he had as president. You know, he he didn't run for president to win. He ran for you know an infomercial, and when he found out that he won, uh, it kind of took him by surprise too. So I don't think I, at the end of the day in 2024, Donald Trump I'm pretty sure won't be on the ticket.
0: I would imagine that the Republican Party doesn't want Trump to run again.
6: Well, there are some in the Republican Party that don't want him to run again, and there are others who are part of the grift who you know love the money that he that he brings. Look, he's still he's still the only show in town for the Republicans. He still is the the one that can bring them the most attention and the most money. So those with uh, those who put party above country would love to see him run again, but those who have a, a keen interest in maintaining, uh, you know, the norms of the United States don't. So you're seeing Liz Cheney and uh, Adam Kinzinger and all these Republicans in these hearings, and, 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 and you know, everyone should be aware that these hearings are, by and large, uh, have been people testifying have been Republicans. So I, I, the, the Republican Party is trying to disengage itself from Trump. It's trying to get rid of and uproot and, out, and, and weed out Trumpism. And so if, if they're successful in doing that, and uh, I, I think that that will show that the uh, the Republican Party really doesn't want to have anything to do with Trump. But we'll see.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Ryan J. Karam, television commentator, executive producer of Six Feet Apart, a documentary on the first days of COVID in the U.S., available now on Amazon Prime. If Trump decides to remain on the sidelines, is there a GOP front runner?
6: <laughs> well, No. <laughs> <There isn't. laughs> Uh, DeSantis would love to think that he is, but he's not. Uh, I think what, you know, if you were going to look at someone in a Repu- in the Republican Party with some um, cross-pollination appeals, shall we say, then you've got to look at Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. But uh, the Republicans won't do that. Um, so uh, it, it, right now, no. Without Trump, there is no, uh, there's, there's no one else. So that's why they would love to have him run right now but I don't think that's, uh, as I said, I'm pretty sure that at the end of the day, Donald Trump will not be on the ticket in 2024.
0: How much of the, if I can put it this way, the Trump stench is going to stick to Mike Pence if he decides to get in there?
6: Well, Mike Pence is in it, and he's disengaged himself from that stench because, you know, Donald Trump went ahead have killed. So, I mean, that kind of stench won't stick with him. But uh, Pence has other problems, and Um, he he can run, and DeSantis can run, and there are plenty of others that will run, but none of them right now has the appeal that Trump has.
0: Brian, appreciate the time. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Have a great one. Thanks. That is Brian J. Karam, television commentator, executive producer of Six Feet Apart. It's a documentary on the first days of COVID in the U.S., also uh, available now on Amazon Prime. When you look at some of the names that uh, could potentially represent the Republicans' On a presidential ticket, uh, we mentioned Mike Pence. We mentioned Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, there's Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State. That would be interesting. Um, Senators Ted Cruz of Texas, Rick Scott of Florida. Uh, there's Tim Scott in South Carolina, Tom Cotton of Arkansas. So there's a long list, uh, Republican Liz Cheney of Wyoming, a long list of people who could be that, that person. Um, will they have the appeal of a Donald Trump, at least to those who follow him? That remains to be seen, and it's, it's doubtful. You're
1: listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The member associations of Canada, Mexico, and USA have been selected by the FIFA Congress to host the 2026 FIFA World Cup. Thank you.
0: That was four years ago. Canada will host World Cup matches in 2026 in Toronto at BMO Field and in Vancouver at BC Play Stadium. But according to the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and this should come as no surprise, we're going to, be ending, we're going to end up paying a lot of money to host these games to the tune of more than $600,000 for every minute that these games go on in Canada. Woof, that's a lot of cash. Jay Goldberg is the Ontario and Interim Atlantic Director with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jay, welcome back to the show. How are you? Great to be with you. Um, I guess this is a case of World Cup sticker shock.
7: Uh, it's definitely a case of World Cup sticker shock. I think, uh, obviously, it's, uh, you know, people get excited when you hear that uh, Canada is going to be hosting some sporting events. But for the World Cup, we're now slated uh, to host five games in Toronto, five games in Vancouver. And as you said, the overall cost is expected to be $600 million for taxpayers, and that comes out to about $644,000 for every minute soccer is actually being played on the field.
0: Now, as we know, this is a very lucrative tournament, not only for sponsors and in some cases for the countries that are hosting the event. There is expenditures, obviously, that have to be made. Does the economic impact uh, negate any expenditures that are uh, spent? So the city
7: of Toronto is saying that taxpayers will be on the hook for the Toronto portion of the Games for $290 million. Uh, and Toronto is also saying they've done uh, a study that's expecting an influx of $307 million of, um, you know, revenue for businesses in, in the Toronto area uh, should they host the game. So uh, the issue with that is, first of all, uh, that's only $17 million more uh, than, than what taxpayers are going to have to spend. So that means if it goes even 6% over budget, Uh, We're going to be at a net loss. And then I think it's also important to acknowledge that this is taxpayer money coming out of taxpayers' pockets uh, and potentially going into businesses in in the Toronto area. We don't know if it will translate into the amount of money that they're suggesting. Uh, But even if it does, this is going directly from taxpayers' pockets uh, to businesses in the GTA. Uh, And so the actual economic benefit for taxpayers in terms of tax revenue is a small fraction of this. So if you're looking at it just from a taxpayer angle, it's a big loser.
0: Another thing to consider as well, as with any of these big global events, it's not just one level of government that is contributing to hosting the events. The federal government will be contributing upwards of, I think the figure $200 million to host these 10 games. So if you live in St. John's or in Moose Jaw or in Grand Prairie, Alberta, you're ultimately contributing to hosting these games as well.
7: Absolutely, and I think that's what's going to tick off a lot of people all across the country. You know, uh, any of the potential economic benefits that the city is talking about, and again, we don't know that the economic benefit will actually pay out as much as they're suggesting it might. Uh, Super Bowl games, for example, generally only generate 10% of the amount of revenue that governments project that it will. Um, But even if we do see an influx of money into the GTA and GTA businesses, as you said, people living all across the country, uh, and even people in Hamilton, you know, that are listening today, uh, you know, they're, they're paying their taxes, they're paying their income taxes uh, to the federal and provincial governments, and both governments are going to put taxpayer money into these games that will, uh, you know, really only benefit potentially uh, the city of Toronto. Uh,
0: the other part of this, and you're probably going to scoff at this being from the CTF, is that, you know, there there's a legacy to this. There's, um, uh, you know, national goodwill that's going to be achieved. And some of that, some might say, is priceless. What do you say to that?
7: Well, um, what I would say is that uh, we're in a cost of living crisis. We've got really high inflation right now. I think taxpayers are struggling and would really love to see Governments put more money back in their pockets uh, instead of a $290 million payment to host these games. 63,000 Torontonians who have homes valued at $750,000, they could all have a one-year property tax holiday. So when you start to think about what we could do with this money instead, I think the whole notion of prestige may uh, you know, fall to the wayside. And certainly we haven't seen Uh, the prestige of hosting recent Olympics, whether you look at what happened in Tokyo or Russia, you know, it really hasn't translated uh, into the prestige that a lot of politicians have promised. So, you know, I think it's quite clear that uh, the dollar figures uh, just don't add up. It's not good for taxpayers. uh, And, you know, we're not even beginning to talk about cost overruns. The Vancouver Olympics was 17% over budget. The Calgary Olympics was 59% over budget, so we're looking at a huge cost for taxpayers.
0: Uh, lastly, you're out today with a tongue-lashing for Premier Doug Ford and his, his, his expanded cabinet. Uh, what's your call to uh, the, the, the Ford PCs here?
7: Well, they've set a brand-new record. of uh, they, they elected 83 MPPs in the election. They've appointed 73 of them, either as parliamentary secretaries or the cabinet, which means they get tens of thousands of dollars in extra salaries. 73 out of 83, that's 88% of the PC caucus, is getting extra money courtesy of taxpayers. And my big question at Doug Ford is, what did the other 10 MPPs do to piss them off to not get these special jobs <laughs> and raises like everybody else?
0: Now that's the question. Jay, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Jay Goldberg is the Ontario and Interim Atlantic Director at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation makes a good point (laughs) that pretty much everyone in his caucus is in his cabinet